You got it? Can you, uh, can you give us the Song of Ascents? Psalm, I believe it is 126. And uh, Taylor, to find out what pagans are around here singing and gallivanting about, please. Gather, gather in the refuse, the refuse from the nation, the highways and byways. But they're not satisfied yet. That's, That's the problem. That must be it. They're not satisfied. It's the blessed if satisfied. That's right. I beg your pardon, Matt. <laughs> May my mouth declare the praise of Adonai, and may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless Adonai from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to God, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all of his praise? So I had a minion at one point, but what have I got? Have I got three, four, five? Good. Who is that? Uh, it's uh, Jonathan, Peter, and um, Colby. I'm sure they'll come in. Okay. Gentlemen, let us bless. Somebody say, Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless our God of He whose we have eaten. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten, and for whose goodness we live. Blessed is he, and blessed is his name. Uh, Lewis, you got the first blessing for the nourishment, sir? Yes. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world in his goodness, with grace, with kindness, with mercy. He who gives nourishment to all flesh, for his kindness is eternal, and all and through his great goodness we have never lacked, and may we never lack nourishment for all eternity. For the sake of his great name, because he is God, who nourishes and sustains all, and benefits all, and he prepares food for all of his creatures, which he has created. Blessed are you, Adonai, who nourishes all. Amen. Amen. Taylor, have you got the second blessing for the land, sir? Yes, I do. We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you have given to our forefathers as a heritage a desirable, good, and spacious land. Because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant, which you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah, which you taught us, and for your statutes, which you made known to us for life, grace, and loving kindness which you granted us and for the provision of food with which you nourish and sustain us constantly in every day and every season and in every hour. Before he flips the page and continues, notice that on the right in the gray box we have an addition to the Birkat Amazon for Purim which you can do together as a community on Wednesday night at Rick and Janet's house, Taylor. For all of and I are God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity as it is written. And you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God. 
for the good land which he had which he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. Amen. Amen. Avigdor, would you give us the third blessing for Yerushalayim? Yeah. Have mercy on our God on Israel, your people, on Yerushalayim, your city, on the heavenly resting place of your glory, on the monarch of the house of David, your anointed, on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Adonai, our God, grant us speedily re relief from all your troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their limbs, but only of your hands. It is full, open, holy, and generous that we feel not inner shame, nor be humiliated forever and ever. May it please you, Adonai, our God, give us rest from your commandments and through the commandment of the seventh day, this great and holy Shabbat, for this day is a great is great and holy before you to rest on it and be content on it in love as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day our contentment. And show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of the shrine, city of your holiness, for you are the master of salvation and the master of consolations. Rebuild your Shalayim, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. 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 It's weird that they printed that incorrectly, but it is, uh, well, it's all right. It's all right. Rick, would you give us the fourth blessing for God's goodness? <laughs> Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Yaakov, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day he did good, he does good, and he will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, he is bountiful with us, and he will forever be bountiful with us, with grace and with kindness, with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, Sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good, and of all good things, may he never deprive us. Amen. Amen. Uh, Yahushua, would you give us the compassionate one? The compassionate one. Oh, no, you just give us the whole thing. I, I realize, yes, I know, that's my normal standard. I'm going to have to but, uh, say it louder. I, I think you should, actually. Yes. broken up appropriately. Yes, yes. The compassionate one. May he reign over us forever. I think we'll do it. The compassionate one. May he be blessed in heaven and earth. The compassionate one. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever. The ultimate ends. And be honored through us forever and for all eternity. The compassionate one. May he sustain us in honor. The compassionate one. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. The compassionate one. May he send us abundant blessing to this house and upon this day. The compassionate one. May he send us the Yahoo the prophet, to use for good, to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. The compassionate measure one. May he bless the master of the house, lady, house, and their house, and all that is theirs. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were blessed in everything, from everything, and with everything. So may he bless us all together with perfect blessings, and let us say, Amen. On high may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. May he cause us to inherit the day which will be completely a Sabbath and rest day for eternal life. May he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He who is a tower of salvation to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. Say shalom bim Ramah. Uya say shalom aleinu. 
Be'el Kol Yisrael, Be'emru. Fear Adonai, you as holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also have aged, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people, and Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Amen. And thank you for fulfilling the commandment. So by way of reminder again, uh, if you did not receive a formal invitation to the community forum party at the Spurlock's home, that will happen at 6.30 this Wednesday. Wednesday is Arab Purim, and it is by... That's, that's not in the scripture, right? The scripture is to have the holiday, and the scripture is to give gifts, and the scripture is to have a convocation. Right, but it is not to, to fast, right? No, I get that part. So, by way of tradition, and following in the footsteps of Queen Esther and her example, um, Wednesday is traditionally a fast day. So, um, it's a daylight fast. Daylight fast, sunrise to sunset. But specifically, we don't traditionally eat any food. It breaks that fast until we have read the entire Megillah or the whole scroll. So you want to try and be as timely as possible to arrive at the we'll spot. a little home. while, but not long. 3630. So maybe 632, 633. They're going to start to read. Yeah, 36 seconds. That's it. But uh, by all means, we look forward to some fun time, an opportunity to teach the children about the loving kindness and salvation of our God, even when we don't recognize him up front. I find it interesting that... Uh, this week, yep, we have a we have a unique event happening mm. in our country, yes. which is coincidence. The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, will be addressing our Congress on the, the fast day. It'll be a fast day in, in Jerusalem, right? Okay, and he will be essentially pleading for us to help stop the wicked Persian regime from, from gaining the uh, means by which to annihilate nature, the Jewish people. Give them the defense. So, I don't think that's coincidence. <laughs> I think that's very, uh, very interesting. Very and his good name be blotted out as well. That's right. Yeah. So what, what, is the, uh, what is the Hebrew word for coincidence? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, good good point. So, uh, we should go and name for both our Congress and for the Prime Minister of Israel and other people. We need to have favor. Amen. I'll bet he doesn't smell as good as when he has to. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. I know he doesn't like it. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot to there's a lot to fast for, for which to fast, and to come together as a community. I'm just excited about it. I can't wait. Um, as we as we hit Purim, uh, we do want to make sure that we recognize that this should be the the bell in your head. Hang on. Um, for those days that we begin to use up all of the comets in our home, stop buying bread, stop buying the breadcrumbs and all that stuff. 
because you're going to want to get rid of that stuff so that you may rid it from your home. I had you first. Why do you get presents on Purim? Ask on Wednesday night. Ask that man with the funny hat. Great question, though. Great question. Just not the right time. With regard to getting rid of your bread and your hametz, ladies, please come tomorrow, just a reminder, um, to the Spurlock's house, the youngest Spurlock's house. Spurlock Shaney. Spurlock Shaney, yes, um, if you're here, Mrs. Upham, give a talk, lead a, success, lead a discussion, more to speak, on how to do that and significance of that and how to kind of lead a Passover Seder. And, not lead a Passover Seder, but how to kind of make it entertaining. Prepare for that and all that good stuff. Great. Right. Okay. You okay? Passover. Okay. Try to stay upright. Good. Thank you for that great reminder. Yes, Janet had a good idea last year. It really is, it, and that is just throw out the toaster. Throw it away. It's not working. That's it. Yeah, I thought, what a good idea. That is good. That is good. Yes, indeed. Where is my daughter? Which one? My Can someone hail Mary? How many times? You've been waiting to use that one. <laughs> I have. But it's, it's actually from the guy. Can you find Mary? I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like the new frames? There's are uh, new frames of the uh, of the uh, the clan, the progeny, and growing. You've been framed. So, so Passover is coming up, um, and uh, as is the habit of both uh, Rick and Greg uh, and myself uh, each year, um, as these next coming weeks uh, provide opportunity for you to be invited to someone's home for for the Passover Seder, um, as time draweth nigh. If you find that you have not been invited or you're not having a Seder and you have no place to actually keep the Passover as best we can, would you please let Greg or Rick or me know? We don't want anybody to be sitting home alone with their thumb in their ear wondering what Passover is all about. Okay? Everybody's got a place. Everybody should have a place. If you're single, you ought to be with another family. It's as simple as that. Unless you happen to be hosting all of the single people in the community, which, God bless you, I will help you to pay for. <laughs> Unless most of the single people have already been distributed amongst all the... Uh, the four of them. All four, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> what? She's on her way. There she is. Here, here comes my daughter. So I have uh, asked many of you, and you have been faithful, to pray for my daughter. And I want to give you an update, and I want her standing beside me, uh, because my heart... My heart is full, and I am very, very grateful that... Uh, Mary has uh, made some great decisions of late, is staying under our authority by her own choice, sees a great value not only in our family, her extended family, but also in you as family. And, and I would ask not that you um, stop praying for, for, for my family or for Mary specifically, 
but rather that you pray and continue to pray for us that we would know how to walk through each day as we um, as we face the challenge challenges ahead of us. Um, we uh, we have a, a young man very interested in my daughter who cares for her very much. She cares for him. And, uh, and right now, as far as we're able to tell, he does not know the Lord. And we are praying that he would come to salvation, that many in Israel would come to know our Savior through him. That he would be great and mighty in knowing and teaching the Torah. Amen? Amen. His name is Andrew. Please pray for him. Pray for my daughter. And pray for us. And I'm grateful for your prayers. Mom's name is Barbara. Okay. Oh, right. Are there any other announcements that I am forgetting? Is there anybody else that wants to share the prayer? No. No. <laughs> oh! <laughs> A lady in Poughkeepsie. Thank you very much. Well, then I think uh, I think this is probably one of the portions that gets dismissed casually with the visible representation of the church today. And I think that uh, Joshua is going to lead us in some discussion that will make it relevant to us today. And that will make us recognize those things which are important to God. Because we've read so many of them today, especially in the Haftarah from 1 Samuel, where Saul is rejected as king. It's not just the Amalekite stuff. There's other stuff in there that we should recognize. Joshua, thank you. Um, this... One volume of the Midrash Rabbah, which literally means the great Midrash or great commentary. Um, and you can tell you it's very hands? great, very Rabbah. I've washed my hands at various times throughout the day, so that's good enough. Um, and in this particular one, um, this is actually not the Midra entire Midrash Rabbah. This is half of the book of Exodus. So really big, really huge, has lots of cool commentary. But I wanted to start off with this one because the very first verse in our discussion today is all about olive oil. And um, if you've been following... Nice about Popeye. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's an old reference. Um, those singles you're missing earlier may or may not get those. Nobody gets that? Um, but this, the, the parsha this week starts off talking about taking um, olive oil and pressing it for the light. And um, if you read last week's parsha without us, uh, you would have learned that that was mostly about the creation of the tabernacle and all the different pieces that come together for it. And of course, one of the center pieces of the tabernacle is the um, menorah. And the menorah means pressed olive oil for lighting it up. So the, uh, the sages start talking about this particular section and they're asking, like, what kind of what is God trying to say here in asking them to create uh, olive oil for the menorah, which is entirely in the context of the service of, of Hashem, the service of God. So they say that, um, well, I'm going to read some snippets here. The Midrash once again addresses the word for you as, the, uh, as well as the expression uh, to kindle or to raise up. So... Um, the question is, why are they doing it for God? And here we have a little thing. It says, God was telling Moses here, it is not that I need these lamps for light for myself. Rather, the reason for this command is in order that you provide light for me, just as I have provided light for you. 
And why do I command you thus? In order to raise you up to glorify you before all the other nations, that they should say, The people of Israel were chosen to provide light to him who provides light to all things. This may be illustrated by means of a parable. It can be compared to a sighted man and a blind man who are walking together. The sighted man, so they tell this little story, sighted man and blind man walk together. The blind man, of course, needs, or has the sighted man help him find his way. And then later, um, they, so when they entered the house, and the blind man was able to walk on his own, because this is his home, he finds this, uh, the sighted man said to the blind man, Go forth and light the lamp and provide light for me, so that you should not be beholden to me for having escorted you. That is why I told you that you should provide light for me by lighting the lamp. So the story, of course, the idea being that like God doesn't need it. So the sighted man can go turn on the light himself. But he asks the blind man to do it. So in a sense, it's like them paying him back, so to speak. Um, and so you get at the end here, it says, The people of Israel said to God, You are the source of all light, as it is written. For you light my lamp, Adonai my God, illuminates my darkness. And yet you say that we should provide light before you? God replied to them, I command you to kindle light before me, only in order to raise you up, to glorify you before the nations, that you should provide light for me, just as I have provided light for you. <coughs> so as you're reading through this section, as you mentioned earlier, this is a part that we kind of gloss over a lot, because this whole passage, talking about the tabernacle, is, let's be somewhat honest, mostly irrelevant in our lives today. We can't do pretty much any of this. And it's very easy to get bored with that and to go, well, why am I even reading this at all? But the reality is that there is the lesson that I want, I hope that we try to get as we read through this, is the reason for the tabernacle is not because it was um, necessary for God. God chose to do that as a mechanism for him to meet with us. And within that, um, that physical, literal commandment to build a tabernacle, to anoint priests, we are also taking upon ourselves symbolically the characters and characteristics and attributes of God himself. So in this case, we're making olive oil to light the room, so to speak, where God's presence dwells, which is what God does for us. He takes the light and lights up the world for us. So as, I, as you read through this, I hope that you kind of keep your eyes open for what are things that God does that he's asking us to do. Because really, at the end of the day, that's what all of the mitzvot are about. They're about connecting with Hashem. And how do we connect with him? Primarily, we connect by doing the things that he does. Yes, sir. Uh, it, it reminds me, the, the symbol of Israel, a lot of people think, is the, is the star of David or the shield of David. And in fact, the state of Israel says that is not the symbol of Israel. Even though it's on the flag, the symbol of Israel remains and will always remain in Noah. Um, and, and, I mean, it is, it is you know, the first thing you see outside the Knesset. It's, it's, a, it's a huge issue. It stands above the, above the plaza at the Kotel. Some of the Nora is always present, even though it's, it's not currently available to us in the temple. Uh, but it reminds us. But they do think, have the one that they're putting the new temple on display in Jerusalem today. Well, the, Romans, the Romans knew it. They, they marked that. They exactly. It was a symbol of Judaism. The irony is, and I think that the sages hit on this perfectly, the, the recognition that the, the menorah is a not only constructed by men, but it represents something in particular about God. And yet it is fueled by the, the, the supplies that men give. And it reminds me of Zechariah 4, where he talks about, he sees a vision, and he sees this vision of, of, of a stone with seven eyes. And he says, these are the seven eyes, in verse 10, these are the seven eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole world. And then I said, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of this lampstand? 
So he's making the connection from the menorah to eyes, which is precisely what the menorah is described as of having, because it's made up with with uh, the symbols of almonds throughout it, which are yeah, which are reminders of eyes. They look like an eye. They look like an eye, and, and, the, and, the, and the correlation is to the eye. So that so the menorah represents seven eyes, which, if you would imagine the tabernacle in the time of the priestly service, that's all you could see, mm -hmm. especially when the incense was going. It would just be seven glowing eyes, not providing illumination, but rather simply providing a representation of Hashem's seven eyes that go throughout the earth. And the two lamps and the two olive trees in, in the prophecy of Zechariah on either side are supplying the olive oil. So it is, it is similar to what the sages are saying. It is we... Who, who bring God's presence into the world. He dwells here. He's everywhere all the time. But the tabernacle's purpose was to bring God's presence in the presence of men. And we build it. Uh, we built it then. God willing, we'll build it again. But it's our participation in his commands that brings his holiness into the world. If we build it, he will come. It's like um, recently, last week, we were going through the tabernacle discussion, looking at all the different parts. Juliana had heard this really cool draft. Was it Rabbi Foreman? Yeah. Um, talking about the shape of the tabernacle from an aerial view. Um, and if you look at the, the tabernacle design and the, the, the elements of it kind of moving out, you've got the Ark of the Covenant at the top, you've got the lampstand, you've got the showbread, you've got the, uh, the incense altar kind of sort of in between those, as it were. Then you've got no like. Right, you've got anyway. They're all kind of in the same general vicinity. Then you've got the uh, the altar at the, at the the main altar outside the tabernacle below that. And so um, yeah, if you look at in a lot of your um, if you look at like a really large thing, you kind of get sort of an idea, generally speaking, of what that might look like. You like your altar here, and then all the different parts are in the inside of the the, ta the, the tabernacle itself. So. Um, but the cool part was looking at the picture from an aerial view. What does it remind you of? And Rabbi Foreman says it looks like a face. And he's like the the ark at the top is like a like a, almost like the, the mind, the brain, as it were, of this face at the very top. And then the each the you have the, the light for illumination represents an eye. That makes sense. Then the other is the bread. Well, what's the bread? It's mostly there for display. It's the show bread, the, the bread of the presence, bread of the face, and that represents the other eye. Then you've got the incense altar, which represents the nose, which of course is all about smelling and scent. And then as you come out of the tabernacle, you get to the main altar, which represents the mouth, which what it's got to say, you bring my food, which is obviously an allegory, but nonetheless is like that picture. So when you look at it, it looks like, it's almost like God had them build his face in this world. It's not really, obviously. We don't, we're not trying to say that um, that's, the, that's where idolatry goes astray, they try to condense a supernatural being into an image, and that's actually him or her. But in this case, what we see is that God's not about, as not trying to make his entire being part of this world, but he does want to express himself in this world. And how does he do that? He does that through um, through pictures, through allegories, through through condensations of himself, as it were, into something that we can understand and we can appreciate. Um, and we'll go into some more details in that later. But again, going back to what we're saying here, it's like bringing God into this world. So I've got a whole, so I think I'll start here and we'll come around.
So this also reminds me of you know, another famous passage <coughs> from uh, John's Revelation, as it were, uh, 21 verse 23, chapter 21 verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. No street light. Is its, is its lamp, as it were. Um, so there's this, obviously, a very cool messianic connection here as well, because uh, on one level, um, the light is connected to Messiah, oil. The olive oil certainly being connected to Messiah. You know, uh, olive oil is what we use to anoint a king. Um, it has to be clear or and pure olive oil. And the whole process of, of making that olive oil is very particular. And, you, you know, we obviously have clear connections, you know, in the Gospels where, uh, in particular, you know, at the end of Yeshua's ministry, when he's praying in a place that's sort of due east of the Temple Mount, which in Greek is translated as Gethsemane, but in Hebrew it's Gonshemen. It's the place where they had olive, they, it was the foot of the Mount of Olives, where they had olive you know, groves that they would, in an olive press, where they would actually press oil, some believe, to be used in the Temple. And here he is in Gonshemen, in the garden of the oil, of the press, and he's praying, and He's being crushed, you know, and we even have the account of, you know, his sweat, you know, and because the whole point of the whole thing with oil is you press it to bring out the, the, you know, the natural oils in the fruit. Here you have these images of him praying in this place where they would press out the oil and he's being crushed with a description of his, you know, sweat turning to blood and this sort of thing. Um, and he is there at, at the foot of the Mount of Olives in this olive press garden being you know, so all of those connections you know all tie very um, beautifully into this concept as well absolutely. Okay. absolutely and you go into this uh, of course it's fitting that the light of the world would be associated with crushing olive oil and that image is exactly one of the things that the, the, sage, the sages get in the midrash they start talking about that passage and they say they compare that to Israel because Messiah and Israel are, are united um, there mm -hmm. is a union there that is unique. It cannot and, be broken. And so the uh, the um, and the and so they say that Israel is like that too. That Israel, because I think they describe that the olive oil doesn't come by. You can't milk olives. You have to crush them. You have to pulverize them. You have to smash them again. I mean, it's it's a multiple step and very painful process for the olive to get those little drops of olive oil. And so what the, the Midrash talks about that idea, and they say that when, when God said, commanded them to bring olive oil, pure olive oil, the idea was, say, was, is, was similar, symbolically saying that you are going to have to go through a lot of awful things through history in order to bring light into the world. And so again, because that same image, the same thing there, as you're talking about with Messiah Yeshua, that there is this, um, this idea that when things are crushed, when things are suffering, then it can bring ultimate good. Uh, and again, it goes that tiny oil and the light. Yes, sir. On your your opening point, which was really good, that this passage doesn't seem overly relevant to a lot of the things that we do, mm. except if you look at it. Well, here's what Hashem is doing, and then therefore we can determine. Well, here's what we ought to do. Well, right. One thing that Rabbi Kaplan says is uh, the uh, the whole idea of being close to Hashem 
is really impossible if you think about it spatially. There's no way you can be closer to or further away <laughs> right. from if he's everywhere. Being. Even if you're wicked, you're still just as close to him as the righteous person. Right. So why is the wicked person far away and, the, and the, the righteous person near to Hashem? Because one of those imitates Hashem of what he does, the other does not. So closeness to Hashem is actually resemblance of Hashem. So especially in this passage when it's like, okay, here's a lot of cool outfits, some olives, mazel tov. Okay, now what? So, but if you understand, well, here's what Hashem is doing for Israel. Therefore, now go and do that, then you'll find that you are actually closer to Hashem than somebody who reads it like a historical narrative or something like that. But if right. you read this as, here's what Hashem does, now I'm supposed to extrapolate something from this to do, that's the best way to read it. Right, because then you're doing what he does. I mean, I think every, um, hopefully every, every father in this room who's had a son grow up had that moment when, when the little boy comes walking out and wearing dad's shoes or has, <laughs> dad's, hat. has dad's hat. Or a lawnmower. You know, or, or, yeah, a little lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure, I'm sure when he's finally old enough to climb into a computer and start computer programming it, too. You know, that kind of thing. Um, they, that, that moment when you there's that bond because you see that he wants to be like you. And that is an intimacy that is special. And I think if you, for married couples, you probably have that moment too, when, when your spouse does something that you enjoy, and they do it not just because of you, but because they have come to appreciate it as well. There's beauty in that, because there's an intimacy there. And it's the same thing here. What Hashem is calling us to do is to act like Him. We're supposed to do the things that He does in this world. And as you point out very, very correctly, that makes us closer to Him. I think you were next. I was going to say, I had a cool conversation once with a yeshiva guy. Uh, we were rapping to fill in. And um, he was telling me why the number seven is important when, when you wrap it on your own. He was saying because it's a symbol of the menorah, like the branches. He said that the menorah itself is also a picture of a face, of God's face. Okay. So you have like the, the, the branch in the middle is like God's nose. Okay. You have, and he, 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 keeps, he, he goes out, then you have the nostrils, and you have the eyes, and you have the ears. Okay. And, and it's talked about in, in, in the Talmud, and they bring like a, a proof text for each part, where like, you know, and it'll be a pleasant aroma, and you know, to God, or his his anger flared, and it's actually Hebrew says his nose flared. Okay. And, and so, and it's really cool, but it, it brings all these faces where it's a picture of God's face, and then when you connect it to when God will place, or it, when He says, um, may may His countenance or His face shine upon you, um, and physically, you're actually supposed to remember that as you're wrapping on your arm. Uh. It's like you have your God's face, a.k.a. the menorah, uh, a.k.a. the seven wraps around your arm are, are supposed to connect all of those together. That's, That's very really cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, um, if you've it's ever prayed... Picture as well. Yeah, you see the marriage picture tied with the, with the wrapping. If you've ever prayed through the Musaf prayers on Shabbat, um, there's a section in that, like a, almost like a poem at the end of it, that says... My, you, uh, your to fill in splendor is upon me, and my to fill in splendor is upon you. That's that idea that as you do what God is asking you to do, He is almost like taking that upon Himself. Um, one of the things as we go through this stuff, you know, we mentioned the cool outfits. I want to talk a little bit about the outfits. That's the next section. So um, when God says, Bring near to yourself Aaron your brother and his sons, you should make vestments of sanctity. And then it says, for glory and splendor. splendor. And the, the Hebrew here is, let me see if I can get the exact words, because I want to I make sure I did them correctly. I know that Tiferet is one, and where is the other one? Uh, there's two. There's uh, Lakavod, uh, Ula Tiferet. And um, 
if, if you notice to fair, what immediately jumps to my mind is that particular word Kabbalah. is Kabbalah. Because if you if you read through if you read through um, if you read through actually if you read through our Sidur this morning, if you're paying attention as we're going through, we had that song, the and it lists like seven different like elements or five or six different elements that are all like about Hashem. And those um, are some of the pieces in the tradition in the Kabbalah of the Sephirot, which let me quickly explain what that is because I know that some people have not studied that. Basically, the concept is saying God is infinite. He's way bigger than anything that we can physically understand because we're human. We're small. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. How much more so is God himself greater than us? But God wants us to know him. We don't believe in agnosticism. We don't believe that God is unknowable. We believe is that God is just bigger than we can comprehend on our own. So what he does is, in a sense, he condenses himself in displays attributes of himself that we can understand, which gives us a picture of who he is. So we get to know him as best as we can comprehend. And so what, and, 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 as, as like an image, as a picture of, the, of this concept, is what they call the sephirot, which is basically like, um, like if you've got electricity coming in, this is an example that was brought up in Saudi class, it's a very good one. May have been yours, I can't remember now. Um, electricity coming in from a, a nuclear power plant, it would blow out all of the lights in your house if it came in straight. So instead, you've got all these little like step downs along the way so that when it comes in, it lights up your light bulb just so to fill up just the right amount of wattage. And that's the idea of the Sephiroth. It's, it's like God is way too huge for us to comprehend, it would, it would, it would obliterate the entire universe if he just expressed everything that he is at once. And so instead, the Sephiroth concept is it's like, so one attribute of God might be chesed. It's like, it captures that light of who Hashem is and sort of condenses it a little bit more. And so when you finally get to the very bottom uh, of the Sephiroth, which is Malchut, which is the kingdom, that is this world. So it's like all of the attributes of God kind of condense, they kind of step down, they, they funnel, as it were, into this world. And then we can understand who he is as best as we can comprehend based on how he's expressed himself. So in this one, this is one of the Sephiroth, is Tefer. What's so cool about that, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, forgive me if I am, but the cool part about that that I think is so exciting is we're talking about this idea of being like God. It's like Tefer, it's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of, if I remember correctly, sort of in the middle-ish. Right? It's Splendor. 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 So this is the no English. English. There's no English. There's no English, really. But it's like splendor, glory, something like that. You know, Glorious kabod. Glory could be beauty. Um, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, yafe is beautiful in, in modern Hebrew. So it's probably related there. So what you get is um, this idea that like they, the, the priests were supposed to put on garments that would give them an attribute of God. So I want to go, I want to go tie back in what we were saying earlier with the olive oil. It's like, again, here we are, these little puny human beings, pathetic and incomplete as we are, are trying to put, literally put God on an attribute of God, and not just, you know, the next step up from the kingdom, because there's earth, and then, well, we might be able to, like, stretch into, like, the next heaven or whatever, and now, that therefore, we, we get a little closer to God. No, no, no. To ferret is, like, it's up there. It's, it's several steps up. So the idea is it's like you're taking like some, some dramatic element of Hashem and literally putting it on. So again, this kind of comes into the same idea we were talking about earlier, is that when we do the mitzvot, we do the commandments of Hashem, we are actually um, getting a chance to express God in this world. Uh, if you want to really get into this one and kind of blow your mind, go back to, I think, 
Um, was it your class or Johnny's that walked through like you do, that you can fulfill all of the separate? Johnny's. It was Johnny's. If you really want to stretch your mind, and it may take you a couple of listens to get through it all, because it's, it's heavy stuff. Um, he walked through a, 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 a drash from Binachman that basically says that when you're obedient to Hashem, you have the capacity to actually end up fulfilling all of the separate, all of his, uh, his attributes that are expressed um, by following him. So it's like there's the capacity to really bring him into this world, which is what the tabernacle is all about. Um, and I just find that so incredibly encouraging and exciting. Uh, and I think also as we go through the Hebrew here, um, there are some fun little cool things in the Hebrew in the discussion. Uh, one thing that stands out is you're looking through it. it you, you may have noticed this possibly before in um, last week's portion. If you read, if you if you're able to read the Hebrew, and if you're not, that's fine too. Um, there's a word for design. You see the word design shows up several times, and it's it's um, I think if I'm pronouncing it correctly, make sure I get it right. I think it's kasha kosha. It's uh, it's some it's the same what it's the same root as um, the word for think, literally the same root as the word think. The fact it, as a modern or count yeah it is a modern example of this that's kind of humorous. We in, in modern Hebrew they, they call a computer a machshev, literally a thinking machine, um, and so it's this idea here of like uh, your your it's like the design is like it's a thought it's an idea, but the cool part is this it doesn't leave it in the idea level, because obviously it's a workman's design, a worker's design, um, a skillful design. So you're supposed to take the idea and put it into reality. Um, there's also a cool Rebbe Nachman Drash that Peter shared with me about the idea that, like, um, how do you get something from your head into this world? And they said, ironically enough, when you start it in your head, it's complete. You have the whole picture in your mind. But as soon as you start, like, you know, knitting of this <laughs> item, or start building a house, it's immediately incomplete. It doesn't exist anymore. And all of a sudden, you've got like two pieces of wood hammered together, and that's not a house. But as you work on it, as you put in the effort to get to the image of your head into reality, now you, you bring them together. You bring what was the idea in your head into existence, and you merge the ideas. So it was complete, then you make it incomplete, and you make it complete again. And we ask, well, why would we do that? That sounds like a lot of, a lot of work to get to the same conclusion. And it's because the idea is that you want, um, there, is, there is beauty and there is a benefit to doing something, sometimes the hard way, so to speak. And the example that was given was, did you want to jump on that one? Just, well, that, I... If you want to give the example, it's such a good example. Oh, I don't know the example. You're oh, the example you, I think you gave me was the idea of husband and wife. Because when God made Adam and oh, Eve... Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Then go for no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> I want you to say it. No, I was just going to say that pattern's all over creation. One of them is husband and wife, because when God made... Adam, he made just one person that was male and female, and the female was on the back, and so it was just, they couldn't really do anything. They couldn't have children, is the, the bottom line, and so Hashem had to separate them, which is, says he created Eve out of Adam's side, so he could cut them in half, and then now that they're separated, now they can come together, and they can make children, etc. Yeah, so the idea, but then of course, what do we get from that? We get like a beauty that comes out of it. So the intimacy that they can have, having been divided and coming back together again, is actually stronger than the intimacy that they could have being one at the beginning. So same idea here. It's like you got this design, this idea in your head, then you put it into reality, now it's incomplete, and you bring it to the end. The final picture is more beautiful than what you could have had in your mind. And, um, and I think that that's also true with, with Hashem. And that goes to get back to, to Mishkan. Here is Hashem. He, he, he creates our souls. He puts us in this earth. And there's a certain level of separation from God. 
you know, he, um, in fact, according to Judaism, like, your soul is like, there's an element of your soul that is, like, straight from God. It's like that connection, that that element of God that is inside of you. But then at the same time, it's like, but it's obviously divorced from him. You're like, you're separated. You're in this physical earth, and you have all these problems and sin and all this mess. But when we do these mitzvot, or in this case, you're building a mishkan, you bring Hashem into this world, now there is an intimacy that is unique. Now you're actually, you can, you can be closer to Hashem, as it were, than you were at the beginning. Well, last week's parasha, well, not just last week, but talked talked about when we left Israel, well, so we could get out of slavery, than to serve God, mm-hmm. right? And then actually last week was, we'll make a tabernacle so you can worship me, which it actually is also serve is to, so in other words, but this way we have a choice of, I'm either going to be a slave for him or not, mm-hmm. because service, that's what right. a slave does, is serve. Right. And with with that service is is our worship necessarily just our prayer mm. is it is it you know in the beginning here is this is where we get our cup filled is it this is where is it for us or is it for him mm. because worship is for him right not for us it, you know it's not so ooh i felt good wasn't that a great service <laughs> right. for me right, right? Uh-huh. but the true the true service is our everyday mitzvah Right. And, and you know, um, I forgot what rabbi I was listening to, and he was saying, if we do a mitzvah accidentally, is it a mitzvah? <laughs> you know? Or is that like, well, if I sin accidentally, well, is it a sin? Hmm. You know, so. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a, a whole different story there, I guess. But how every day our service is in our mitzvah yeah. to serve him, because it's not about us. Right, and we're, and we're set free for what purpose? It was to serve Hashem. God didn't set us free so that we would for feel choice. good. But yes, it would be by choice. But it would be, it would be that is our purpose then. Mm-hmm. Is that we, it's like in Romans when, when, um, when Shaul, Paul, is talking about basically you only have two options. You can serve God or you can serve sin. There isn't like an in-between where you can be something else. You were created to serve. You're going to serve one or the other. And so if you have, if you have left sin... To be joined to Hashem, then you better be serving Him because that's your purpose right now. I got you. That was, that was that great Jewish sage Bob Dylan that said that. Oh. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Yes, sir. I was, was going to uh, bring us to the to the Haftarah portion this week with regard to service and worship. Um, it just struck me that. Saul did, for those of you who didn't read it, um, Saul is told to wipe out the Amalekites, and he wipes out the Amalekites, except they took the best of the animals, according to him, in order to sacrifice them to Hashem, which would be service and worship. And he spared the king. Of the Amalekites as well, and and Samuel comes on the scene to say, you know, the an oft oft misquoted, out of context line that God desires obedience more than worship. Um, that's that's not to say he doesn't want worship, but if you want to make up the worship whatever way you want, and if you want to serve him whatever way you determine, if you want to pick the animals and so forth, that's great. 
But that's not what God asked for. He specifically gave instructions what to build, how to build it, how to worship him. And if you choose not to do it, you want to do it your own way, well then, he doesn't accept that. And, like happened to Saul, what, what, uh, what he has provided may be ripped away. Uh, I think that uh, that's a message that the, the visible expression of the church today needs to, to come to grips with. Um, as, as we all build ways that we choose to serve or worship Hashem, we need to recognize that it is not up to us to make it up. We need to simply be obedient, and God will be pleased. And if we try to please Him through some other means, you can go all the way back to the beginning and look at Cain, it just doesn't work that way. As much as we wanted to, and as much as for <coughs> thousands, literally, of years, we have tried to, you know, do it our way, I'm thinking of a guy named Frank, but I can't do it our way. Right, and it's interesting you mentioned the sacrifices because as we will be learning when we get into Leviticus, then the sacrifices, there is an opportunity for you to go a little freestyle and you can offer up voluntary voluntary sacrifices. But that was still within the, the confines, the general box that God provided. So God doesn't necessarily want you to all look identical and little clones do exactly the same things all the time. He gives opportunity some people um, to do more or less or whatever, with, but it all fits within that box of the mitzvah. It all fits within the box of holiness and kind of what that looks generally, like. Generally, if we're doing that box, we all do tend to look from afar very similar. Yes, yeah, true. And in that, he said, he is glorified. It's not us. Right. Because they look at what we do and everybody says, wow, what an amazing God you must have. Right, and that's the goal. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, that's exactly what it's saying. You would do these, these commandments, and they would look at you and not go, those Jews, they, they knew before everybody else that we shouldn't be eating pork. <laughs> Man, they're so health conscious. No, the goal was that people look at it and go, wow, their God must be amazing. How brilliant is that? And in fact, today, we were, I was actually laughing with Juliana about how like we had uh, um, an entire, like, I don't know, even like 1,000 years or more, more than that, 1,500 years, of like European monarchy dictated based on a single verse from Yeshua about divorce mm -hmm. and how you have to like, you know, it's you know, adultery is the only real reason, so therefore you can't just divorce for any other reason and whatever else. And it's like, wow, like to say that like, the, the if you look at most of our laws today, as we've said multiple times here, that is basically almost all of them come from the Torah or from the kind of the drashing, the, the commentary, if you will, from Yeshua and his disciples. Like, almost none of them, at least the, the, the hardcore, the basic ones, come from out of our own heads because everybody kind of gets the idea that the best stuff was from God. He is the wise one, and that's who we're ultimately glorifying. Did you have a comment, Dan? Okay. I can make one up. <laughs> 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 uh, so when you mentioned the Torah for Samuel, of course, we read that this Shabbat because it's Shabbat Zakor, mm -hmm. right? So we're reading that as we get ready to uh, read the Megillah. And if I could just make sure everybody understands, it is Shabbat Zakor because Purim falls before the next Shabbat. Mm -hmm. That's why it's Shabbat Zakor. Does everybody get that? It's the calendar date. It's the Shabbat right before Purim. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, one thing that Rob Ginsburg uh, brought to my attention that I had never really seen before. Is it good? Uh, he says there's a there's a very there's a very unique connection between Parsha uh, between this week's Parsha and Purim. Okay, you've got me there now. I'm hooked. Yes. So, what's unique about the Megillah? What what is what's the one thing that's unique about it? God's name is not in it. Neither is in in our morning prayer. Modern Anim. God's name is not in true. True. So the Megillah is unique because God's name is not there, yet we know he's kind of working under, you know, kind of below the surface. He's concealed, as it were. What's the connection to this week's portion? Moshe's name is not anywhere in huh. this week's portion. It's the only portion really? in the entire Torah where his name is his not mentioned. Wow. If you read the portion, it will say God spoke to him. Uh, Normally yeah. it says God spoke to Moshe and said, tell the children of Israel this or that or that. Hmm. It says God spoke to him. Huh. So we have, and we know that Moshe is, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's God on earth, right? He's got the authority. He's like a king. Mm-hmm. He's prophet, king, and priest. Yeah, faith in Right? And exactly. And yet this, this, this week's portion, and I meant to look, look at this yesterday, I didn't get time. But I'm assuming this week's portion probably always falls, maybe except with the exception of if it's a good year, probably always falls right about now, right? So, you know, as we're about to read the Gila where God's name is mysteriously missing, so we read this portion right before that where Moshe, only time before his name is not mentioned. Well, wow. not the only time. Only time post Shemot, right? Yeah. 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 Um, not a pre-incarnate motion. He's there, he's there. So Rob Ginsburg says, what's interesting about that is um, it's still Moshe who's facilitating this, because right here, we, well, this is where we have, so up to this point, Moshe has been prophet, priest, and king of the nation. He's all three offices rolled into one, which is why he is the Messiah type figure, right? Okay. But right here, we now see we see the priesthood we see the priesthood being peeled off. So it's almost like Moshe is um, diminishing diminishing, what's, what's the Hebrew what's the Hebrew word? Um it's almost like he is um, he's, he's being nullified. nullified. He's being nullified to a certain extent. Okay, and the priesthood in this world is now transferring to his brother, right? And their descendants forevermore, right? And he gets cool clothes. He does get cool clothes. He he gets these cool <laughs> clothes, but 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 what's unique though is Moshe though is still sort of a priest. I mean, he still goes in before. Hashem, he still can enter the town. Yeah. In fact, the Midrash says some some even go so far to say that he was priest all the way through the forty years in the wilderness. Exactly. So, so even though we have the Levitical priesthood being separated, and Moshe still kind of a priest. I mean, yeah. not kind of. He is. Yeah, he's a priest. Ironic priest. But he is not. He's you know. So you have this kind of unique 
situation here where he's sort of on one hand being nullified and taking a back seat and, and Aharon is taking a position of prominence as it relates to the priesthood and Moshe is being concealed mm. yet he's still working and orchestrating right. things behind the scenes wow. um, which to me when I you know, so, so that was kind of a beautiful connection that Ross Ginsburg brought out that I'd never ever picked up on before as I kind of thought about that, one of one of the one of the connections, because I'm I'm always looking, you know, I was kind of try to look for the connections to Yeshua, and one of the things that came to mind as I was meditating on that was, um, we know Yeshua being Messiah, right? When he came, he operated when he physically walked the earth, he operated in the office of prophet, right? He performed miracles, he called people to repentance, he did all the things that prophets do. Right, he died, was re resurrected, and now today he is in what office? Priest. He is in. He is our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Right. But in his role as high priest, where is he? He's like Ben Yosef, working behind the scenes. He's behind the scenes. We don't see him. Right. I mean, we know he's there, but he's. He's concealed to us, but yet he is our high priest according to a different order. Which you sort of see this with Moshe, because Moshe is is he's still there, he's still working behind the scenes, and he's still a priest, but he's not he's not the same kind of priest anymore. A different kind of priest. He's a different kind of priest. Wow. Um, and of course, when Yeshua returns, he will return in the office of king. King, right? So. Anyways, but the connection of Moshe's name not being written—that's cool. Was just good. Really yeah. cool. Very nice. And we, uh, in looking at this week's parasha, you get this picture um, uh, at the uh, later on as we're going through the list of all the different parts. And one of the things that they emphasized um, is the the breastplate, um, and uh, they carve the names of the tribes into the breastplate and also on the, the shoulder straps. And it specifically says, um, this is chapter 28, um, and uh, I think it's chapter, make sure I'm on the right one. Yeah, it says, chapter 28, verse 29, is just one example of this. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment when he enters the sanctuary as a constant remembrance before Hashem. And we know from reading in, um, in someone and. Paul's writings, but also in Hebrews, Yeshua as high priest is doing the same thing. He is he is our high priest before Hashem. He's bringing our cause, as it were, to Him. He's, he, it mentions in um, I think it's Romans that like the Holy Spirit would make prayers for us that even we can't even say. We can't even get those words out. We don't even know those words. Um, and it's like so he can he can take our cause, even the causes we don't even know about, um, as as Hashem says in Isaiah, "Before you call, I will answer." Um, to 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 God Himself, and and the and Aaron in this role is doing the same thing. He's taking the um, the people of Israel before Hashem constantly, every single day, walking in there upon his heart and upon his shoulders. And it's uh, later on in the passage it actually links that to like sin, in the sense that like that Aaron is basically making an atonement for the people of Israel for their for their issues as he comes in before Hashem each day. Um, and the same thing is also happening for us as well. Yes, sir. In the same way, Moses, it's interesting because if you think about the fact that Moses' name isn't mentioned, that Moses wrote it. <laughs> so it was a choice yeah. that he made. 
certainly by divine inspiration, but it was a choice he made to specifically not put his name in it. Mm-hmm. To me, it reminds me, and that it really does remind me of Yeshua because exactly the same reason. And Paul says this, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, as Moshe, who's not named, is exalted by us rightfully, and and uh, even more so not Messiah. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Messiah Yeshua is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. And it's funny you mentioned that, like, that, that idea of like, receiving glory after humility, because this passage does not mention Moshe by name. But actually, if you read, like Aaron practically doesn't get his name used at all without it also saying, your brother. Over and over and over and over again. And it's funny because if you look at this, Moshe was priest. Now that role is sort of being taken away from him. And it's almost like, well, Aaron must be, you know, he must be above Moses if he's going to get to be priest. But in actuality, Aaron is priest. Basically, I mean, at some level, it's for his own merit, but it's like almost, it almost gets the appearance. It's like he's priest because he's Moses' brother. It's like Moses, in his humility is not mentioned in this passage by name, and yet he is given a place of significant honor throughout the whole parsha um, as well. And so when you mentioned also Yeshua uh, as, our, as our, um, uh, our priest and taking on that role before Hashem for us, it reminds me of the uh, Amidah. If you pray the first stanza of the Amidah, it says, um, the, the, for the kindness of the fathers. In other words, like Hashem remembers the good things the fathers did. And um, Pete had a really cool thought. Um, he has lots of cool thoughts, and they just kind of come to me at any time. And uh, we, we, were having, uh, we were talking about it one time, and he said he gets so much encouragement from that. Because, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's pretty easy to look at your own life and think, whew, there's no way that God's going to listen to my prayers right now. Like, I'm pretty, you know, lame. But then that passage reminds us in the, in the Amidah that like, it's the, like, the kindness is like the good things the forefathers did. Like, Abraham was awesome. Like, he's a really impressive guy. And he, in a sense, is a representative on my behalf before Hashem. When Hashem looks at me, a son of Abraham, he is, in effect, looking at me through the lens of who Abraham was. So we receive that. Same thing with Yeshua. Oh, more so with Yeshua, because he's the ultimate um, stand-in. So he does everything perfectly. Way better than Abraham. And Hashem sees us through him, as it were. And then we have merit before Hashem that we can have forgiveness, we can have blessings that we would never deserve otherwise. This picture is also in this in this portion, because in chapter 28 of uh, Exodus of Shemot, um, it says, talking about the head plate, um, it says, you shall make a head plate of pure gold, and you shall engrave upon it, engraved like a signet ring, holy to Hashem. You shall place it on a cord of turquoise wool, and it shall be on the turban. Opposite the front of the turban shall it be. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, so that Aaron shall bring forgiveness for a sin regarding the sacred offerings the children of Israel consecrate for any gifts of their sacred offerings. And that shall be on his forehead always to bring them favor before Hashem. So... I don't know. You let's let's just stop for a second. You and I are the Joe Schmoes of Israel. We 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 do things that, that we shouldn't do during the week. We mess up. 
don't know about you, but I don't have lots of gold that I can be giving toward this little gold plate. Low on gold. Low on gold. <laughs> and yet, every time, if we were in that time period, every time Aaron is walking into the, into the, into the tabernacle with this gold plate that says, holy to Hashem, he is doing it on our behalf. Amen. So when he walks in, Hashem is treating Aaron like a representative. He's treating him um, like someone standing in our stead. True and, he, and Aaron is earning favor for doing what Hashem wanted in a really cool and impressive way. I mean, holy to Hashem, like the, the picture there, if you go back to Zechariah, as I mentioned that earlier, that, that, earlier, um, that element of uh, in Zechariah is the culmination of of the universe being brought in the kingdom of Hashem. Because then it will be everywhere. Because everything will be sanctified to Hashem. Because he will be king, truly king over the whole world. And the entire universe will be brought into some, uh, much as close as it can be in this, in this world, to be holy to Hashem. So Aaron walks in, holy to Hashem. God sees that, and what does it say? He extends favor to the rest of us because of what he's doing. So we get, the, we get that picture with Yeshua on like an exponential level because what he's doing is perfect and complete always. And, um, and, I mean, and he is the ultimate representative, being Hashem himself, condensed, as it were, in uh, having been in human form, having gone through the universe and lived a perfect life. And then, of course, we're receiving that favor, that ultimate favor through that. So it's like we have to, I mean, to go kind of uh, jump on what Pete was saying earlier, we have so much freedom. There should be so much joy. Because like we have nothing to really like worry about, as it were, before Hashem. We should serve him with so much love and happiness, talking about earlier, like being freed from Egypt, because it's like we don't need there's not like there's not pressure. There's no pressure. Like obviously we get punished for the things we do wrong, but it's like at some level there's no pressure anymore. Um, there is there's only a, a really level a great level of joy. So I've got you was there someone else raised their hand? Oh, this is Joshua. So I'll come back to you in a second, Joshua. Um, I think it's interesting with the stones on the shoulders that have the names of the children of Israel. It says, um, like, he, Aaron shall bear them before the Lord, before Hashem always, his remembrance. Um, but it's interesting because it's like, well, he's obviously not wearing that constantly, so how is he always... Or no, that's on the breastplate, I'm sorry. Both, both. No, it's on both. both. Names on both. Names, but then they're six, six, six. on his breastplate. I think that's the breastplate that he says that he will wear on his heart before Hashem always. Mm-hmm. And the idea there, um, say to say, well, he's not always wearing the ephod. Like, that's only for oh, the right. service. So how is that? How is he always bearing them before Hashem? Because he recognizes himself in that service, and he always is interceding for the people and always oh, praying yeah. for them. So he takes his job seriously. So he's not only just coming before Hashem with the names, like, doing the duty. <laughs> he recognizes <laughs> that this he's is a continual thing. Out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Very cool. So I went to Joshua now. So is Moshe and Aharon sort of like our ambassadors to God? Yeah, it's a very good idea. A really good idea. Um, idea. Uh, I think it's very much like that. Uh, You can also go like, uh, as we're talking about Netanyahu speaking before Congress, he's like your congressional representative to some degree, but the ambassador's even better. I like that because it's like he represents an entire nation, as it were, to to someone else. That's cool. Good job, Joshua. (coughs) Yes, sir. I'm just going off what she said as far as... uh, you know, the, the tribes being on his heart. Um, mm-hmm. It represents what's in his heart. You know, mm-hmm. like what's inside of him. So his love for the people is always there. Right. You know, and he rec- he has to recognize that his role in that role as high priest, that, uh, you know, being the only one allowed behind the Holy of Holies at the time, 
You know, he has to stay in that constant state of mindfulness and love and yeah. appreciation. I mean, that role is, man, those are some big shoes. It's to fill, intense. Man. Yeah, that's intense. They so would say that the priests, thinking about, um, some of us have gone around a little bit about the idea of thinking about it, the priests, when they offered the sacrifices, if he went in like the wrong intent as he was offering the sacrifice yeah. and wasn't like really yeah. into it, totally nullified, totally worthless sacrifice. And whose fault is that? That's on the priest. So now the poor guy who's, who's brought the lamb or whatever else and is trying to earn favor with God, as it were, not earn favor, but to experience the favor of God, he's now getting shortchanged because the priest was thinking about something else. And I think if you think about that idea, um, talking about having on their heart always, again, it goes back to that concept of like how much we need to be having um, the people around us in, as well. I mean, I, I am blessed because I've got a couple of men who, and, and women, I know my mom, every single morning for school will pray for us every single morning with Judith. I have um, grandparents who do that as well. Uh, I love hearing stories about Pop-Pop, and he has, I mean, he literally has like days of the week to set aside for this couple, and this is set aside for this couple, and so on and so forth. And his family just keeps growing. I don't know how he's going to have to have like, you know, on his iPad, all the calendar things. But, um... But the, and, and we feel that, and, it's, and it has effect. And I think that's so cool. Um, that'd be an encouragement to be keeping other people in prayer, um, to be praying for, for various other people. And you see um, that God doing those blessings in others. Um, because again, he's doing that for us. He is, and he wants us to be like him. So this is our opportunity to apply that compassion as well. Did you also raise your hand? Okay, make sure. I keep thinking I see your hand. Okay, I yeah. <laughs> I keep hoping it's going up. That's what it is. Yes, sir. Um, so so the, the gold plate, right, that said, cut no shade, cut down night, um, that was only worn by the high priest. A really cool connection uh, that maybe brings that closer to, to home is, uh, you know, we know the Torah, the Torah teaches that God's people are a nation of priests, right? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. echoed again in the apostolic uh, scriptures as well. Um, but there's a connection where every morning when we don the shell roche. The tefillin strap that goes on your head. It is, it is, as, it is like mm -hmm. we are putting on that nameplate, right? Because we have, we have mm -hmm. the shin on the we have the sheen on the side of the of the, of the, the box. Bike, on the yeah. side, side of the box, which represents his name. Right. Right. And so it's like every day as we are doing our priestly service mm. by offering up our prayers, mm -hmm. we come before him with his with his name on our That's cool. heads. Like right. That. So kind of a kind of that that can for at least for the men who who Lace filling that can kind of bring that mitzvah, if you will, uh, closer to home. Uh, but there's, a, there's another cool way. Women as well, though, because wives wear filling to their husbands and daughters wear filling to their father. And on the opposite side, we don't know what the letter is, but it's a four, four legged shin, if you want to say. It is. It's a shin. And are we donating to filling for the world to come? Well, there's another because that would be. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean the four, the four. Yes. On the side, the other shin on the, the side split. has got the extra. Right. There's another beautiful drasha about that. That's, right. That's um, right. That has to do with the rock. But, um, 
But the other verse I was going to share was also from, uh, let's see, where is it? from another verse from Revelation. Um, uh, see, because you've kept my command to persevere. Um, see, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold, hold fast what you, uh, hold fast what you have, that no no one may take your crown. He overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him uh, the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Yeah, twenty two. Uh, yes. Uh, no. Uh, this is Revelation chapter three, uh, starting with oh, to the churches. Right. And, and I will write uh, on him uh, my my name, my new name. Right. And I've heard of, I've heard. I've heard at least one commentary say that you know, the idea of writing the name that you've written on the foreheads of those who you know, are these overcomers of the world. So, to the extent that that's true, I mean, there's kind of another kind of cool connection to that whole idea of we bear on our on our heads, you know, we bear before us on, on our heads the name of a show. Right, and again, going back to the Musaf the prayer, the song, the poem, one of the things it mentions is like the Hashem has the sacred name on his forehead. And if you think about like this um, Levitical concept, again, putting it on, is another act, as it were, acting like Hashem. Again, we're, we're taking on uh, things that Hashem does. Um, and obviously, as humans, we're going to do them in, in, incompletely. We can't possibly be God on earth, that's ridiculous. But we can we can express Hashem in this universe and and in a sense um, display him as it were manifest him in this physical world and that's one step closer to ultimately knowing it better. Yes, Marianne. I wondered if anybody wondered if uh, in the apostles scripture where it talks about the armor of God. I don't know if that has anything to do with there's connection or not. Well we get coming up when I was reading it. Well, in the, in the, in the armor of God store, uh, example that Paul uses, he has all the different pieces. You actually, those pieces are, um, are not his idea. You read throughout the scriptures and the prophets and especially in the Psalms, you get snippets of those all over the place. And one of them is the helmet of salvation. The, the, and it's uh, the hat of salvation, I think, is, uh, what, um, is one translation. I think, is it, is it Isaiah? <laughs> I can't remember now. Anyway, it's one of the prophets. And, it's, and that, again, is in reference to Hashem. So it's like, it's not just the idea that, like, you, you know, it's not like Paul's trying to say, like, um, this might be kind of a cool idea. You might want to add these extra elements into your life. It's, it's He's pulling from all of these uh, scripture passages, all these different things, and they ultimately all do point back to Hashem again. So it's like you're, you're taking on... It's like, it's your, as you rightly point out, it's reminding of this, of this garments thing. It's like being clothed with um, Hashem's attributes in this world. Yes, sir. Uh, this passage, it's not, I mean, it's not unusual, but this passage in particular uh, is a type of passage that Rashi loves because it raises more questions and, and as, as, as uh, Rob Upham has pointed out, the book of Revelation is exactly the same way. The connection between the two is almost um, inseparable. And when you start going through, like, listing all of these gems, you, know, you have to scratch your head and go, there's got to be more here, because that's just too odd. I mean, why did he use these names? You know, you know, 
in particular, how is the how is the priestly garment arranged, and why is it arranged thus? And and the writer of Hebrews does the same thing, drawing from those questions, and and digging deeper reveals more of the character of God. And as Rob Epham has pulled Revelation in, you can see that it a lot that's below the surface is is meant to be revealed at a later time. But we shouldn't lose track of the co connections, and we should actually be comforted by the connections even when we don't understand them. That's right. Yeah, and I think that as you have pointed out many times, you always start with the surface and you, both, and you go down, and it doesn't diminish the, what's underneath, because as you're pointing out, the underneath stuff's really cool. But I also appreciate the fact that as we start off, we start with the surface. Because like one of the things, if, you, if you've grown up in the Christian church, you probably you have read elements of the last couple power show from piece to piece, but they're totally allegorized to the point of not even existing in the physical world. We don't even know if there was a tabernacle, but it's all about Yeshua. Or, you know, and it's like, well, it is all about Yeshua, but there was also a physical tabernacle. And you start with that surface level, and then you start digging. And that's, like, as you're pointing out, the, the underneath is beautiful, and there's so much there, and we have to keep studying it. Because there's stuff every year, we come through it again, because there's more there. And you're digging, and you're digging, and you're digging, and you're finding more things. But at the same time, it, we don't lose sight of the reality that this is what the children of Israel literally did. And that was one of the things, um, of course, it's so cool, as we read through this whole passage, last couple of chapters, the culmination point for this entire story is at the end of the book, when Moshe does what Hashem wants, and God's presence comes and dwells. And we see then, um, the next step, so to speak, is the culmination of this parsha is in Leviticus, when we get through all of this inauguration ceremony for the priesthood, and what happens? It says that Hashem literally sent forth a flame and, and lit up the, the, the altar himself. Boy, that had to be cool. Whoa! And it says everybody hit the, hit the deck in worship because they were all awed and amazed. And, they, and it, more importantly, they recognized God is here. And so what's cool about this whole idea is that the, the, the Mishkan was created by us. God wanted us to engage in the process of bringing him into this world. And mm -hmm. to the next level, the only way that we could interact with him in the Mishkan was through a human being that had to be decorated just so, that had to be inaugurated just so, that had to have all of these elements of holiness just so. But he is the link, as it were, between Hashem's physical presence on earth and us. And I think it's so beautiful that God used people to do that. Um, and it doesn't, so again, it goes back to this idea that as humans, we have a connection to God. We are diminished, but at the same time, we are used by God to do things that far transcend what we can accomplish on our own. Yes, sir. Um, in Ezekiel, it speaks to that. Um, Ezekiel 36 and 22. Therefore, saith to the house of Yisrael, Thus saith, Thus saith Adonai Elohim, It is not for your sake that I act, O house of Yisrael, but for my holy name that you have desecrated among the nations where you came. I will sanctify my great name that is desecrated among the nations that you have desecrated among them. Then the nations will know that I am Adonai, the word of Adonai Elohim, when I become sanctified through you, before their eyes. I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the lands and I will bring you to your own soil. 
So he says, I will be sanctified, I will be set apart through you mm-hmm. among the nations where you are dispersed and scattered at. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, it's yeah. through us, our actions, our, you know, that is how you're saying, you know, how we bring him in and also give glory to him. Right. You know, not to ourselves. Right. But they see our actions. Um, we had, the, we, you know, the talk we had on Masilis um, Yasharim, we were talking about when we go to work, you know, how we, we talked about being around profanity and gossip and things like that. It's how we respond, how we behave, how we act. But then also at home, you know, uh, our home, how we bring him into our home, how we have peace in our home. Right. Uh, how his name and how he receives glory. Right. And I love the fact you mentioned it's all about him receiving glory. It's interesting that also the prophets, one of the things they say that was the, the proof that God is going to do to show that he has loved Israel and the ultimate glory he's going to receive is going to be from when he rebuilds the temple and Amen. dwells in their midst. <laughs> so when he builds it, when he comes back and he fills, physically fills our world again, um, it will be his stamp of approval Amen. On, on Israel, but more importantly, it will also be to his glory. His name will no longer be desecrated because then mm. everyone will see and know like it, who he is. And I think that's the idea through all of this as we're going through like our actions and the things we can do. It's not about us. It's not about showing up and showing off. It's not about looking good. It's about doing the things that God wants us to do to bring him glory. Yes, sir? Sort of a question. The, this is the priesthood of Aaron. Right? And there's different priestlyhoods because obviously there's priestlyhood of Melchizedek. Okay. Right? And, and how Yeshua comes... He's from David. And how even King David wore, wore the priestlyhood garment of the mm-hmm. five. And how Micah also wore it too. How mm-hmm. even the five was worn through people who were not in the priestlyhood. Mm-hmm. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, that, in the question of, in a way, this is the priestlyhood of Aaron, and yes. This is how he did, has designed it, but also how, because Yeshua is not right. a Levite, right? No, but how we do have the Melchizedek, and how that is also how even King David wore that thought. You know, these are outfits, and it's in fact commanded. One reason why don't mix your wool mm-hmm. with your is don't look like a priest. Right. Yeah. That is a commandment. It's like today. We have laws today. Don't dress like a police officer. <laughs> right. I mean, the same law. <laughs> right. You know? So, I mean, I guess in the question is like going, I mean, it's a very, and this was also, Hashem says, hey, this is, uh, it's already done. It's already here. It's seen. And was is Yeshua wearing these in heaven as this is happening? You know, so how there's different priestly hoods they are. Yeah, and I think it's, and that's important to say it's different. And that's the thing that I think the mistake is oftentimes made. We talk about Yeshua being priest. Um, it's very true. But then there's a tendency to want to say, like, you know, kingdom of priests, we're kingdom of priests, whatever else. Is that somehow we replace 
the Levitical priesthood, or we are the same as the Levitical priesthood. So you've got a lot of uh, Christian teachings. It's like, well, when they build the temple again, I'm going to stride right out into the Holy of Holies, and I'm going to give God a high five. And it's like, absolutely not. You're going to be zapped to the spot and erupt into flame. And if not, we'll do it. Or dragged out and stoned to death. But anyway, the point is that, like, um, that you that uh, it's different. It's not the same, and I think that's the mistake. Is some people want to try and say it's the same thing or it replaced it, and like and God's saying no way. This is as you pointed out rightly. We cannot be a priest. You and I cannot be a priest. We were not called to that. It's not who we are. And there's a very specific group that are given that that mm-hmm. responsibility and that role. Now, as far as the other element, um, ironically enough, about Yeshua. David's a little more complicated because he's in an is in a special position. But when with Yeshua it says in Hebrews, he's not a priest on earth. In fact, if he was physically on earth, he would not be one. Did you say it was ironically or ironically? Ironically. Um, so we've got that idea that like um, there's a different there's a different role and different responsibility, a different place, different Mishkan, um, tabernacle, and therefore it's not an overlap. It's not a replacement. Rather, it's like a different. Um, dimension. Yeah, different dimension, a different realm. Which was Moses part of the Aaron priesthood? I mean, he was a Levite, but he was not. He was not. Right. He was was not not a son of Aaron. No. He's a Levite. You're, you're a, yes, that is correct. So his position, but he's still a priest. That's exactly yes, right. Yes, right. different priest, right. Much more similar to Yeshua. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. And David falls in the same category, I guess, there, to some yeah. degree. Although not exactly. He's a little bit, he's not full, the full, he didn't act fully as that. With regards to the, uh, the building of the temple, um, things like that, uh, one verse that's always sort of confused me uh, is in Hebrews 10 it says, where there is removal of these, in other words, sin, there is no longer a sacrifice of sin. Therefore, we have boldness to enter the Holy of Holies. Mm. Is that, like, are we allegorizing that? Or is there actually going to be a temple with sacrifices? Because mm. I've, I've never been able to really reconcile how there's, if there is removal of sin, therefore there's no more offering for sin. Right. So, there's, which is why how I was trained in seminary, anyone who does want to propose that there will be a subsequent building of the temple, Ezekiel's temple, will be shut down immediately by this verse. Yeah, but, but Zechariah points out very clearly that in Zechariah 14 that there will be sacrifices, and they will be sacrifices for sin. So does Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Right, yeah. and, and so I, I realize that, but they would say that, well, Hebrews understood that as well, but and is giving an alternate and, and Hebrews is so more official explanation. Just, just a very high level, because probably now is not the, not the time, but I think the easiest way to understand and come to grips with the text is to recognize that the church does not understand why the sacrifices were made in the first place. If we think that the blood of bulls and goats was taking away sin, we are already messed up. Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. That's not why they were done in that Temple. That priesthood doesn't deal with sin because it could never wash the conscience of a sinner. Mm -hmm. But the proper, the original, the one that he was shown the pattern of, which he made the duplicate from, that one does deal with sin. Uh And now there is no more need for there to be blood poured out for sin in that temple, in that priesthood, and that's why. He sat down. That's right. 
Right. That has nothing to do right. with the priesthood and the, the temple on this planet because the blood the, of bulls and goats was in order that we might draw near to him. Right. And it didn't say, build me a tabernacle so that you can worship me. Yeah. It said, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell right. with you. Okay. Right. So that we can come together. Mm. Right. So if we see the book of Hebrews in that sense, and we jettison the junk that they've taught us, that the two temples are the same, the two tabernacles, the two priesthoods, and Jesus has done away with the Aaronic priesthood, if right. we throw that away and recognize that from the very beginning, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, there's a parallel here to teach us, but it is completely different. Absolutely. Then we can understand. And to, that, and to that point, there is also also a um, Judaism has a similar perspective because there's the question: when the temple is destroyed, Judaism asks, "What do we do now? Like, if this is how we have a relationship with Hashem, we're totally like lost. We have, we have no way to run here. So, what do they go? Where do they go with from that? They come on to say that the prayers and and the good deeds are our offerings they are our connection with Hashem right that's what it's always said that's my point is that Judaism didn't just come up with like a caveat to go like oh thank goodness we still have those rather they recognize the idea that there is there is a dichotomy here there are two tracks so to speak our relationship with Hashem was not limited to the existence of the temple. Yeah. The temple was an expression of that relationship and it allowed us to experience that relationship in a different way. The temple's not here anymore. You know, Orthodox Judaism, which, which teaches that the prayers and the mitzvot, our offerings, is also praying that the temple be rebuilt so we can keep doing offerings. Well, why? Because it's two different things. And I think the same as idea of what Hebrews is trying to say there is it's two different concepts. They're, they're all, they're, we have, I mean, obviously, the study of Hebrews, if you want to go through a whole long um, discussion on what that works like, you should listen to my dad's class online. He has an entire book you can follow, too. I didn't get a chance to make the comment that I wanted. I was responding to you, and I, I hope that made some clarity. Super offensive. I, yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, say, back, back to your earlier comment about losing the visible representation of the church that today are hoping, you know, if that temple gets made, they're going to run into the Holy of Holies. <laughs> to me, to me, that that is so offensive. Mm. Not yeah. only not only to the faith that I practice, practice, not only to those who I've joined in covenant, but to God Himself, because it recognizes that they have made it all up in their heads. Mm. Because the first thing to recognize is that they would never, ever, under any circumstance, because of their lineage have the opportunity to get past a certain point in those levels of holiness, number one. The priests were always, the Levites, were always armed. <laughs> and we, right. we seem to forget that. They always conceal carry. <laughs> <laughs> it was their job to protect the sanctity and the holiness of God's place. Right. So if they think they're going to you know, go into the Holy of Holies and do a high five or something, they don't recognize that they will be cut down by the ministers of God. Amen. God and will right not have up. a chance to burn them to a crisp. Now we have the, one, uh, the classic example of this. Uh, you mentioned earlier, David. So it'd be very easy, I think, for the kings of Israel to have assumed, I have a special role there. And they do. They are called the anointed, the Mashiach, as it were. They have a special role before Hashem. And yet, what happens to King Uzziah, 
who runs into, he goes, I, t t t this incense thing looks pretty cool. I would like to be able to do that. So he just strides right on in, and the high priest stops him and says, whoa, what are you doing? Please, please leave now. This is not cool. And Uzziah's like, I, I, I'm here. I want to do this. While they're looking at him, he starts to break out in leprosy, and the, and the priests who are with the high priest have to rice him out of the temple so he doesn't contaminate the temple. The point being, then, that like he is uh, God himself determined who is allowed Amen. to enter into his physical presence on earth. Amen. And God himself has said in this section that it is limited to a very special family. Amen. And anybody else who thinks because of their role or their place or some other thing that they've done or whatever else, you know, whatever their theology may be, that they can get around the plain reading of the text, the Peshat level of the text, that there is only one family that's allowed into this place, they are going to be sorely mistaken. And as you pointed out, they will either die at the hand of men because they will be rightly defending the place of God, or Hashem himself will deal with them. I would assume, hopefully, that by that, as awesome and as incredibly tremendous as it will be to have Hashem's physical presence on earth again, that most of these people will be terrified enough to not even try to oh, do it. Yes, sir, and then they're going to uh, With regard to the book of Hebrews, it's very, very unfortunate. Um, Hebrews, in the Apostolic Scriptures, is like the Zohar. Uh, it should only be studied in English in their current translations by those who actually understand the Scriptures. Otherwise, it's a, it's a corruption. So you start from the wrong spot immediately. Because, because the English... Every single translation completely mangles the verbs intentionally for theological reasons. Intenses. You cannot in any way read it and get its understanding in the English as it's currently written because it was intentionally perverted. Men like Monty Judah, good man, who 15 years ago said, well, that's it, I'm never, I'm never going to accept the book of Hebrews as inspired scripture. And the reason why is because he was using English as his baseline. And reading it is just, it, it's, it's a mess. It contradicts itself repeatedly in the English, whereas in the Greek it does not. Mm. Yeah, we got, we got well, a lot I mean, of... Yeah. Uh, it, it, it tells you right out, too, that the blood of bulls is good. When people are right. like, oh, you don't, oh, you don't yes, need it that. Works. And right. I, and, and, it works. And it works, and it turns around and says it doesn't work. Yes, <laughs> that, that's exactly. You're going, wait a second. Right here it says it's good. We obviously have better. Obviously, they could have said it is bad. Sorry, we're going on your track with that Hebrews. I'm sorry. But, no, you know, it's just yeah. that that Scripture totally says this will be a gap. And, uh, is it right yeah, immediate right. to this point? Or? Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. Then we'll come back to your I don't know. I, because of the evangelical Christian friends I have, I tend to allegorize everything. Yeah. I think then you, that... They even allegorize going into the Holy Holies. <laughs> like, given the chance, they wouldn't even do it. Just, right. Oh, I was just kidding, man. Yeah. I was just kidding. <laughs> 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 going into my mind. Yeah, that's good for me. It's good There's going to be a lot of reteaching. Yeah. Praise God. That would be wonderful. Amen. Yeah. Let's well, do it. It will be built. The teacher will be Mashiach. Yeah. yeah. And he'll have the ultimate teaching and make this all make sense to us once and for all. Oh, Hopefully he doesn't say, how long do I need to be with you? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. But I think, I think by that point, Hashem, as it says, that the, um, 
that people will be, the knowledge of the Lord will be around the world, that every knee will bow, every knee will bend, every tongue confess. We get this idea that Hashem's kingdom, as we talked about earlier, the, the sephirot, the bottom one, the bottom expression coming from Hashem is, is kingdom. The bottom expression is this world. It's like at that point, finally, we will have the revelation of Hashem in, in completion as much as it can be in this physical world, and we will experience Him. Um, as, as though, as in ways we have never had, and had never, no one has ever. Although this text gets talks close. about gets close. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, so the tabernacle. There's there's two words that are used to describe the tabernacle: um, mikdash and mishkan. Hmm. And mikdash, you know, comes from the root, the same root as kadosh, right? It means mm-hmm. a, a holy place. It's got to be a holy place. Sanctuary. It's got to be a, a set apart sanctuary. And then it's a mishkan, which c- comes from the root of shakan, which means to dwell. Same word for shekinah, right? Mm-hmm. The dwelling presence of Hashem. So the, the, the mishkan has to be also mikdash. Um, and if it is mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. then then it cannot, you can't, it can't be, you can't have, it's got uh, to be both. If it's not holy, no it can't be a dwelling place, right? And there's got to be a dwelling place that is holy, right? It's a, it's a, you, they can't you can't That's have good. one without the other, and and it's there's a there's a famous midrash in Lucas and Ica Rabbah that talks about why did the Shekinah leave the temple, right? I mean, it, you know, in in the second temple, the temple that stood in Jerusalem in Yeshua's day, no. There was not. Right, that's there true. was not a shekinah. The that's shekinah true. did not dwell there. There wasn't even an, an ark of the covenant sitting in the holy of holies. Right. So um, there's a uh, there's a, a midrash in Eichorabah that talks about uh, when because of the sin of the people and because that they had not maintained the sanctity of the temple. That ultimately got to a point where he could no longer dwell among us, right? And so he withdrew his presence. And it says that the the midrash says that you know that the shekinah uh, moved from the from the holy of holies moved into the courtyard, and then from the courtyard it, it went up onto the altar, and from the altar it went up onto the wall, and from the wall to the roof, from the roof it moved. Uh, out across the Kidron Valley to the to the temple uh, to the Mount of Olives, and then it ascended back to Shemaim from the Mount of Olives. That's mm-hmm. Well, because also it says it will return in like manner, right? So, yeah, there's a beautiful connection there to Messiah, who also departed from the Mount of Olives, and Zechariah 14 returns to the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. But the point is that. The, the reason why you know the reason why the priesthood were packing as it were <laughs> was because it was a big deal yeah. to maintain the sanctity of God's dwelling place because if we don't yeah. maintain that he will he has no choice he will remove himself from us that's right, right? that's the point of Yom Kippur Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you go through the Yom Kippur um, ceremonies, we'll get to again in Baikra and Leviticus, um, like we were talking about earlier, there's different sacrifices for different reasons. The offerings in Yom Kippur are about forgiveness, but it's almost entirely couched within the concept of his dwelling presence. 
And it's like, in, in the atonement, the covering that's provided, it's more about the inanimate objects than the people. The people are mentioned as getting atonement as well. But it, it focuses especially on the altar, the, the tabernacle, because without that cleansing that you're talking about, that atonement for the, um, for the physical location, Hashem's presence could not dwell there. And, and there, and so, the, and there is also a, an, a personal application as well, because mm -hmm. we know the commandment that was given two portions portions ago, where he says to Moshe, "Build me a, uh, build me a mishkan, mm -hmm. so that I can dwell in, among you." It uh -huh. can also mean because also you could translate that as in you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's and and of course, so there's this concept, and obviously apostolic scriptures pick up on this. That we are supposed to be the temple, the temple uh, and and so there, all of these things have a have a have, have a parallel, you know, meaning. So we have to guard the sanctity of our Mishkan because if we don't, we run the same risk of having the divine presence removed. So it's a big deal. That's very big deal. Which, which recently, I've been our family's been watching more carefully on, on what we've been eating and separating more. Mm. And I, uh, my daughter had mentioned, oh, I'm going to do this for dinner. we got to be careful with this. And I sat down because one of the biggest things is, yes, it's important what we eat and don't eat. And I said to her, when you get in a situation with your siblings, I want you to be thinking ahead how you're going to react. <coughs> Just that you're thinking ahead on what you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. I want you to think, well, this is what might happen, and this is going to be my reaction. Mm -hmm. I'll just try to eat more like uh, we should, mm -hmm. or more as uh, the sages, say. I, I would say. I, I now separate uh, poultry before I didn't. It's like, ah, but even just those things. You know, going, all right, how are we doing this in our lives, not just right. in our mouths? You know, because when, you know, siblings, I got four little ones in there. You know, they, they're angels with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's the thing is, you think about um, talking about holiness. I mean, it says that the, the altar here would be holy of holies. Well, the holy of holies is in a different location. But it's like holiness has to pervade. We have to uh, bring it to our lives. Um, any final comments? Did I miss someone? Making sure. Um, all right, cool. Well then, as we go forward this week, next two weeks, um, keep this in mind. You're bringing Hashem's presence into the world with your very actions. Um, it starts at home, like Nehemiah was saying. You live that life at home. Peter actually points this out as you were commenting about um, Hashem's presence can't dwell in, the, in a bad place. Husband and wife are having issues. Their prayers won't be heard. So it's like that peace in the home starts there. So Dad, if you would close this out in prayer. Now, Father, our King, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and that you uh, didn't uh, simply leave us here, that you gave us uh, expressions of yourself that we could see. Thank you for the words that your servant Moses wrote down for us. Thank you for your uh, love for us and giving us those words and inspiring us to love them. Thank you that you have inspired us to worship you, and we worship you, the one King and only King. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.